Hey again, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, and Jimmy Stein, that's him. And thankful we are both in my best Yoda Bama esque voice as Dylan Moses has come from on high and come down the mountain and presented to us information that he will be returning for his senior year. It is a happy new year indeed. Uh, I, I would say I was a little surprised Dylan's been one. I, I can't remember what all we talk about here and what we don't, but Dylan, in my mind, has been a 50-50 deal all along in terms of whether he would go or leave. We know that media uh, mock drafts have, have consistently had Dylan in the first round, but uh, let's keep in mind, that's the media. It's so funny to me as fans that we read media mock drafts and believe everything and then we read news, and we go fake news. Don't believe it. But <laughs> but it's but media mocks for some reason. Uh, fans just read it and and treat it as if it's uh, scientific or some sort of uh, chemistry equation or law of physics. They they treat it as scientific fact. But uh, anyway, Dylan's been in a lot of those media mocks in the first round, and and whatever information he got from the NFL, we we won't know specifically. But, uh, wow, what great, great, great news. The best linebacker on the team is returning, and he was not the best linebacker in 2019. We never saw him. Uh, gosh, I can't tell you how much this means for the team in every way. It's not just that, okay, now our best defender is back, Dylan's back for senior year. We've got a Mike linebacker who can make the calls, no problem. We have uh, Christian Harris who is very likely to line up next to him next year, Christian Harris will no longer be expected to know what to do. He can be told what to do. And, and, and he's had a whole year jump on, on knowing the defense. I'm telling you, Dylan back in the middle is going to make Christian Harris so much better. We're finally going to see uh, the highly regarded, highly ranked Christian Harris. Uh, he will be the most, Christian Harris will be the most improved player on defense next year, solely because Dylan's coming back. And, uh, Man, we're good, and let's hope Dylan is healthy enough to help us at a question mark position for Alabama outside linebacker. I would love to see Dylan healthy enough to play outside on third downs. Let's remember, as a freshman, Dylan Moses was one of the best pass rushers on the team. Oh, yeah. And, look, I don't know why we don't make more of this Dylan Moses having the Moses last name thing more. Okay. I think we ought to – hopefully he gets juniors two by two to wait, – wait a minute, that was Noah. Shit. Uh, I, my, my, you know, it really just – got a guy named Christian Story, and this is, a, this is what you bring to the uh, table? This I swear to God, Jimmy, all morning I was like, how am I going to tie in this Moses thing? And I was like, okay, we got to talk about, like, maybe he had some commandments that thou shalt not – leave a school with no college football playoff championship in your junior year or something like that. But, and then for some reason, like Noah's Ark stuck out to me for a second. And then I totally forgot, I totally whiffed on like if Moses had done the Ark and the commandments, he would have been a busy dude and splitting seas and everything else. He would have been, he, he had a lot on his plate, but he didn't he have been to build best actor and not best supporting actor <laughs> in that old Testament. Maybe we can get Noah Kane to transfer from Penn State eventually. I'd have Moses and Noah on the same team. That team would be really god darn good. <laughs> instead, 
All right. All right. I'm sorry. Well, instead of a well-written message like Dylan put out last night, maybe he should have just been three words. Thee shall return. Doubt shalt return. Doubt is that? Is it? Is it that? No, I think it's just thou. Thou means like you, right? If I said thou, thou shall call me at 10 a.m., that means I'm telling you to call me at 10 a.m., right? Yeah, I don't know why I said doubt. I did say thou. I kind of like thou. So is thou means I? What's I? I think it's the. I is. I, I don't. I. <laughs> I. No, I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, I. I was just. I think even let's back do, then they were like, let's, Dylan, let's do regular. Dylan's programs. back, and it's made the whole uh, the whole new year off to a good start. Now, just ruined the whole English language. We've gone. We've gone back to old timey talk. <laughs> That's how big a news story this is. We we can uh, modern day English no longer matters. But let's let's <laughs> hope that a few of these other guys follow him. I think there's probably too much optimism about Tua returning though i think he might i i think i think he might I, I think it's very very possible but i'm sensing too much optimism to the point some people are, are now going to be disappointed when he doesn't you know uh, uh that that said i'll tell you a couple of names uh you know i think leatherwood's coming back that'll be huge he'll be one of the best offensive linemen in america next year and I, i'm i'm confident Devonte smith is coming back uh, which would be massive for the wide receiver group. Now, I do think there are other juniors that may come back of all the ones we're asking about, whether it's about Xavier McKinney, even Henry Ruggs and Tua. But uh, I think Leatherwood and Devontae Smith are pretty good bets to come back. And, and while it won't be as impactful as Dylan, it's still very, very, very big because you're talking about, with Leatherwood and Devontae Smith, potential first-team All-Americans. Oh, there's no doubt. There, there's there's no doubt. It's it's look. It's just a, it's it it could be the start of something much, much bigger. It could be. I'm again. I'm not going to uh, get my hopes totally up that because uh, Dylan Moses is coming back, that everybody's coming back. And, and in fact, we know everybody's not coming back. I mean, we we know that. I mean, uh, well, Terrell, Terrell Lewis, Lewis is ain't coming back and. Uh, Trayvon Diggs ain't coming back, and and so be well, it. I mean, that's I, a, I get it. He's a senior. That would be even bigger. People. That would be even bigger news than Dylan coming back. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, look, let's just let's just keep rolling with this. Let's keep hoping that it that it does move along. And if we just get a few of these guys to come back, it'd be huge. So I think that's that's the way we got to approach this thing. And and Saban did say something interesting on his coaches show where he said that. Only one guy got a top 15 grade, and that guy was Tua. Now, that does seem wrong, but you made up a great point earlier about guys with these mock drafts. Do people know that the people, for the most part, the ESPN, the CBS, the Yahoo, the USA Today, the 24-7, those guys doing these mock drafts, and I'm not trying to belittle them in the least, but they essentially are doing what we do. They watch college football. They watch it a little more than we do. They watch it a little more than we do, but and they may have a little more technical uh, expertise. They may use some uh, larger words, different jargon. They may do all that, but essentially they're looking around the country and going, "Okay, this guy, this guy looks like a number one pick to me." And you know the Bengals need a quarterback, so hey, let's just put Joe Burrow there, number one, no brainer, right? Total no brainer. Well, 
it's not, it doesn't really necessarily work that way. And a lot of GMs, a lot of places that some of these guys do actually get their material from and their information from, maybe some GMs, maybe some inside sources inside these teams, they may want to put out false information out there to get other GMs thinking they're going to go one way when they really want to move another. I mean, when is the last time a mock draft hit verbatim? <laughs> it hadn't. It had, when has it been 90% accurate, 70% accurate? I, I don't remember one. Do you? No, even, even McShay and Kuyper's final mocks, which come about a week before the draft, we're going to have to look this up. But I think when they do a final mock and if there are 32 projected first-round picks, if they get around 20 or 21 of them right, that's a big celebratory thing for them, getting 20 to 22 of them right a week before the draft. So their mocks now would be wildly inaccurate compared to what they're going to look like in April. I mean, I, I don't understand what, why people can't understand. If, I, if, if, if all of our listeners said, Jimmy, we want to hear your opinion, who are the top 16 junior prospects in Alabama? You know, one year from now, when it's signing day 2021, who are going to be the top 16 players in Alabama? I can give you an educated guess. I can tell you where I think it stands today. I can tell you what I think. But, you know, you know, Luke, that when I tell you the top 16 prospects are in Alabama one year from now, it's going to be a hell of a lot more accurate than what I would tell you today. Today is sort of a wild guess. A couple months from now, it'll be a better guess. A couple months after that, it'll be a better guess. A couple months after that, it would be a better guess. And then you get to about a week before signing day, and you've got a really good idea who, who it proved to be. Mock drafts are no different. We're still four months out. This is the thing that kills me. I'm, and I think it's people taking Nick too literal. Who does Nick go to? This is what I, what I tell people. And this, this will be educational for a lot of people. I mentioned it here before. There's no committee. This draft advisory council, there's no committee. There's not six guys that review hundreds of applications from juniors and tell them where they're going to be drafted. There's not six guys that do that. The way the NFL does it, which is very smart considering the limited resources, they take the entire list of every junior that wants an opinion, and they divide it by 32, and they send it to the teams. So, for instance, Tua it was sent, I'm, I'm just making the shit up. Tua was sent to the Bengals. Uh, you know, Judy was sent to the Lions. Devontae was sent to the Bills. Leatherwood was sent to the Packers. And, and, and it's all sent. And that team sends back the, the report, which is just generally half a page or one page. And I think it says, you're going to the first round, you're going to the second round, or you should return to school. I, I think that's all mm-hmm. it says. That's the official advisory thing, okay? But that is one team's opinion. That's one team's opinion that's not even fully formed because they haven't done all their work. You're asking for incomplete work. How can the NFL – what I'm saying is F. Kuyper and McShay. Let's talk about the NFL that tells you where you get drafted today. How the hell do they know? If they know today who's going to get drafted where, then why are they holding the combine? That costs them millions of dollars. The combine costs millions of dollars to put on, at least a couple million. And what about the Senior Bowl? The NFL pours a lot of money in the Senior Bowl. The entire NFL is coming to Mobile in about two weeks. All of them will be here. They take up every downtown hotel at tremendous cost. They're here for the Senior Bowl. They go to, they go to, to California for an all-star game. And, and look at that. Then they do pro days. They send scouts to, do, to conduct workouts at over 300 Division One and Two schools. 
if they know today how the draft will go, why the hell did they do all that? And it's because they don't know how the draft is going to go. they got an idea. I assure you they have a more educated guess than someone in the media, but all they have is an idea or a guess, just like me or you, Luke. That's all they have. It's a guess. Now, it's the best place to go for the best guess today. But even if you're going to the NFL, who are you going to? Who are you going to? Let's say that you could, who who's the most knowing person in the NFL? I guess you'd say it's a general manager, but the general manager of who? The Bengals, they have the first pick. So if Nick can go get the GM of the Bengals, let's say it's him. Who, uh, Dorsey? No, no, Dorsey's the Browns. I, I can't remember who the GM of the Bengals is. But let's say Nick gets the GM of the Bengals on the phone, and he goes, hey, just between me and you, i got to share some info with the players. Um, I'm going to give you the names of uh, ten of my players. Tell me where they'll go in the draft. How the hell does that guy know? What does he know? He's got a guess. He's got a guess. He knows what he knows based on information to date. But not even he knows. All these people that say they know today, how come they're not going to know in April? Because there's surprises every day. You know, they put the draft on TV because no one knows what will happen. No one knows. So how the hell do we know today? So Well, and that's, that's the other thing. Yeah, I, and here's the other thing, is that if Nick did get back <clears throat> that – only one guy had a top 15 grade. And it, that that surprised me. I think it surprised Alabama fans. And I think some people may even be skeptics and say, that's Nick Saban trying to get guys to come back. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Nick's fine with, hey, if I could have 32 first-round picks, I would let them go because you know what that does? Let me recruit easier. But um, I, at the same time, I think what it what we should look at it as, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so instead of, uh, you know, who's the what's the guy's name at CB, uh, Barrett Salee or somebody like that sitting down and just saying, okay, you know, I've watched a lot of football this year and I, I know Joe Burrow's good. I'd put him one. I know um, Jeffrey Okuda's good. I'd put him up there and Jerry Judy's good and, and yada, yada, yada. And writing down his draft, these guys actually had a grouping of, I don't know, like you said, 10, 12, 8. 18 juniors that they had to evaluate. Now they had to evaluate them rather quickly, but they evaluated them. And then they say, okay, this is now they have a little more informed decision. And instead of just putting them in slots where they think teams need, they're like, look in an average draft, this guy would probably go about number 28 plus or minus based on our educated guess on this information. Instead of just some guy at CBS or ESPN going, Hey, I've watched a lot of football this year. He looks like a top round talent because He's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's he's physical. And um, I also, Oakland needs a defensive tackle, so makes a perfect fit. Well, it, you know, it doesn't really work that way. So I guess what I'm saying is there are people already who have sort of snickered about Nick Saban saying only one guy got a top 15 grade in, in hopes that maybe convincing or, or coercing some of our guys to come back. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think maybe we really did. Some of our guys did get that top. Only one guy did get a top 15 grade and everybody sort of turned around and went, huh? Okay. We're, if you're not in the top 15, you know, it's really, if you're not in the first round, but if you're not in the top 15, it gets really dicey. You know, if you're not, if you're not like, if you're not Joe Burrow, it's dicey this year. Or, um, gosh, who else out there is? I mean, throw me, who's been the universal? Oh, Chase Young. If you're not Chase, Chase Young, Young or yeah. Derek Brown, yeah. Derek Brown, it's it's dicey 
because people are going to take a chance on those guys. Um, yeah, we can name no ten. What. We can name are, ten. Some of it's not rocket science. We can name ten. I mean, about ten: Burrow, Chase Young, Derek Brown, Akuda. I mean, that, that that's four names that just jump right out. You know, there there's um, others. CC Lamb, CC Lamb, CD Lamb will go in the first round. I would think uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia is a first round pick. I would oh yeah. Think. Uh, that that lineman from Iowa, Worst. Yeah, a couple Werfs. of kids from Iowa, Espinoza and uh, and the, and the tackle Worst. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Espinoza's great, by the way. I love. I know he was like going to Iowa from the start, but God, how much how much fun would he be to have on our team right now? Oh, I know we didn't really even like make his list, but I'm just saying, I love yeah, that kid. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of guys we can say as fans that like, ah, oh, yeah, it'd be really shocking if this guy wasn't a first round pick. But to be specific and to be certain, beyond those ten, yes, the draft is. I don't want to use the word easy to predict, but the first few picks, yeah, yeah, that okay, we get that. But once you get to about pick eighteen, once you get to about pick thirteen, even there could be surprises in terms of, I didn't know that guy would go in the first round, or how did this guy fall out of the first round? Hell, there's going to be basically 68 dudes projected as first-round picks starting you know, today forward, and, and, and then there can only be 32. So, and then there's need. Need is big. Let's, I mean, it's, you know, uh, some teams that are picking high don't need quarterbacks. Other teams do. Some teams desperate for a quarterback. Quarterbacks get overdrafted every year. Right now, the number two quarterback right now is Justin Herbert, I guess. So some team might even trade up to get Justin Herbert, when in fact he might be, what, the 26th best player in this draft? The 34th best player? But he's going to go top 10 because he's the second quarterback. So you've got to factor that in. That bumps everyone else back another pick. So it's, it's, it's... I'm only upset about this one thing, and that's the implication that there is some sort of list that's got these are the 32 guys that are going in the first round. Who the hell has that list? Who can you trust? And who are you listening to when they say the NFL? Who is the NFL? I guess it's the 32 GMs that are in charge of the draft. But not even, pick out a GM. Pick out Jerry Jones. If you said, Jerry Jones, tell me the 32 guys that are going in the first round, how many of the 32 is he getting right? Today, yeah. I would tell you he's going to get 16 right, maybe 18. And because and he, he should know a hell of a lot more than me and you know, he should. So 16 or 18, is that what we should expect for him to have right today? So I just think I'm only upset with, with the implication that people know where you're going in the draft. If your name is not Joe Burrow or Chase Young, no one really knows all right, so let's move ahead. But anyway, the bottom line <clears throat> and why we started talking about all this is Dylan Moses coming back is is it couldn't be any bigger. In fact, I would say <laughs> even with Tua, he could be the one guy coming back that makes the biggest difference. I mean, is that crazy to say, c- considering Mac has looked pretty doggone good and we got Bryce Young coming in? I mean, I, and I want Tua back. Don't get me wrong. I, I Love Tua Tungvaluwa. I want him to come back, but I want him to come back for more of a lifetime achievement thing. I feel like if we don't have Tua next year, we can still win a title with the right pieces on defense, and and if one of the receivers comes back, but and maybe even an offensive lineman. But if Tua were to come back and Dylan didn't, um, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily change our odds any. With Dylan coming back, I change our national championship odds. 
I really do. I think that's a great point because who would guess that Dylan – but I, I agree. If Tua comes back and Dylan doesn't, don't we have the same team we had in the first nine games of 2019? Yeah, exactly. It would feel like the 2019 season all over again, which is the offense is unbelievable and puts up crazy numbers, but once we run into somebody really, really good, we're likely not going to win because we don't have enough dudes on defense. That's what it would feel like if Dylan didn't come back. That's why Dylan coming back may mean more than Tua coming back, although trust me, we'll welcome Tua with open arms. But the way I feel about quarterback, and I'm not trying to diminish Tua. Tua's the best quarterback that's ever played at Alabama, as far as I'm concerned, and I would love to have him back, although I want whatever's best for the kid. But uh, I'd feel pretty good about quarterback next year, even if Tua's not coming back. And the reason's Mac Jones. Not because I'm telling everybody that Mac Jones will be the quarterback in 2020 from game one through game 15. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if Mac Jones is Alabama's starting quarterback next fall, I will feel very good about winning the games. I think Mac is good enough. He's a good enough piece to win the games if there's a good team around him. We won a national championship with Greg McElroy. We won national championships multiple with A.J. McCarron. We won a national championship in 2015 with Jake Coker. We kind of won a national championship with Jalen Hurts in 2017. I'm just saying if we can win national championships with those guys, we can win a national championship with Mac Jones. He has already shown me he's good enough to do that. Now, if Bryce Young beats him out or Leah Tungovaloa beats him out, then holy hell, we really got something then. Because if, you if you're a freshman and you beat out Mac Jones, you are a freak. You are a freak because Mac is a solid, winning, veteran SEC quarterback takes a freak freshman to beat him out, in my opinion. So I don't worry about quarterback next fall. I think we're in good hands. Now, Tua coming back, total game changer. Now now all of a sudden we go to probably having the best quarterback in the country, at least one of the top two or three, along with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Oh, God, can you imagine? And as, as, as prolific and as exciting as Joe Burrow was this year, um, I think people don't appreciate him quite the way they should because when he came into the season, nobody really bought into Joe Burrow until he beat us. And then when people bought into him, they were still like, man, that was, we didn't even realize how good this guy was or how crazy this year was because he had no hype coming in. But if you had it next year, if you were to have a college football semifinal with Alabama by, led by Tua, Ohio State led by Justin Fields, and Clemson led by Trevor Lawrence, and I don't even know who the other quarterback could be, frankly, that would even be in the conversation. But those three guys alone in, in a college football semifinal, that's ridiculous. I don't know who the other team could be to even be in the conversation. And get, I guess, do you have a quarterback out there that maybe if Fromm came back or something, I, I guess? Um, I think even he is a good year for quarterbacks. And from you know, from what I hear, Fromm's leaning towards leaving, which is surprising. I've been saying all summer and fall Fromm will be back, but what I did not anticipate was some sort of uh, I don't know what I don't know how to describe what's going on at Georgia. Panic, yeah, induced by holy crap, Kirby's been how, how long has Kirby been there now? Three, four years or four, three, right? He's been there four years. Four years. Yeah, because, uh, you know, that first year he wasn't that good. That's right, that's right. In the last three years, 17, 18, and 19, they've been good. Um, Kirby's been there four years, and they have not won a championship. Uh, not not a national championship. I guess they won the SEC the year that we beat them in the, in the finals. Uh, 
Kirby has only been in the playoffs once. He has not won a national championship. And I think there's some sort of panic going on there because they hired Kirby to win a national title. That's why they hired him. That They were winning with Mark Rick. They were winning 10 games. They were recruiting well. They were doing well. They just weren't winning the championships they wanted to win. So they thought they were upgrading from Rick to Kirby. Now we've got four years. Now it doesn't appear after year four that they've really upgraded. And I think there's some level of panic going on over there. And I find it uh, hilarious, maybe the best way to put it, and and proof that, hey, guys, it's hard to do what you thought would have been so easily solved by just hiring a new guy. It's hard to get in the playoffs and win once you get there. It's hard to do, and Georgia is panicking over apparently it wasn't as easy as they thought it might be, and uh, Fromm might be getting out while the getting's good. Um, Jimmy, we we have just gone off a couple of different directions here, and so one thing I totally forgot, and it, this the bowl games kind of snuck up on us. I mean, I guess we need to go ahead and make our official predictions on this thing, and I have I'll, I'm going to be quite honest with everybody out there. This is not a bowl game that I have been able to dive into and just put my arms around. I have been much more interested in who's coming back as juniors, how recruiting is going with the early signing period. That's one thing the early signing period does is take away from any bowl hype because you you're late to getting to the bowl hype. And then by the time you get to the bowl hype, I'm more excited about the Under Armour All-American game and Army All-American game than I am our bowl game, to be quite frankly, quite frank with you. So I'm, you know, I haven't been able to dive into this thing, but I'm going to say again, I think we beat Michigan relatively soundly. I'm going to say by 17 points. Um, I will say that I should put an asterisk by this saying there's no way anybody can feel confident about a prediction in any bowl game. No way. There's no way. And so I cannot feel super confident about that. I just common sense tells me we're going to beat them pretty soundly. I, I it's just so hard to predict about whether we're, we're going to show up and play great. And, and I hate that because I, I'm, I'm going to say up front because I think that the time to say it's up front. Don't be a sour grapes guy. Don't be a, a guy that predicts the future based on what just happened. Uh, or, but but what I mean is, or, 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 or make a prediction in retrospect, well, I knew we were going to play like shit because we don't care about this game. No, I'm not going to buy any of that. And if we show up and don't play hard, if we show up and mail this in, if we show up and lose by three touchdowns because we didn't care, uh, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be upset at Coach Saban. I'm going to be upset at the team, and I will question the overall culture because I don't think – that Nick Saban's Alabama should ever be that way. And I know we've sort of been that way a couple games in the past, sort of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> but but uh, no, 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 I, I, I won't buy it. I won't, it's not an excuse. We're playing for a trophy. We're playing Michigan on national television on January 1st after they just should, should have got embarrassed at Auburn. We got the whole team minus a couple of seniors. So, so, so kids that, that literally didn't care, they're not at the game. The kids that are at the game are supposed to care. So if we lose, I don't want to hear excuses. I don't want to hear, oh, if we tried, we'd beat Michigan by 20. I think you're a crappy kind of fan if that's your position. Oh, if we tried, we'd win by 20. Well, no, we, you don't know. You, you play the game on the field, and whoever wins the game on the field is the better team, period. So that's how I feel uh, about I, that. I, now, I, I do think they're gonna show, I think we're going to show up and play well. Uh, I, and I think if we show up and play well, we'll win. Uh, I do worry we're shorthanded on defense. I'm going to say Alabama wins tomorrow 40 
one, no, no, 42, 42 to 34, Alabama, high scoring game. Didn't you tweet the score? Why was it take you so long to remember that? Because I was thinking of changing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking of changing it. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm going to stay. 42 34 Alabama high scoring game. Offense plays really well. Defense puts out decent effort, but still is short a dude or two. And uh, Michigan's improved offense has some success. Uh, the game is somewhat tight, but uh, somewhat tight. But Alabama wins by eight points. And, and let me—you threw out something, and the games you're talking about, and these are the two that stand out to everybody. Whenever you talk about Alabama in a bowl game, these are the two games that people discuss. That's Alabama in the 2008 slash 2009 Sugar Bowl against Utah, and 2013 slash 2014, I guess, uh, Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma. And, yes, Alabama lost both of those games. They lost to Utah a little more soundly than they did Oklahoma, although Oklahoma – Alabama had a chance against Oklahoma late, actually, to come back and tie it. And remember, there was a scoop and score, I think, uh, that made it look a little worse than it was. But how many teams on this planet – would have played well against those two squads. Utah specifically, who was were they undefeated when we played? They were or undefeated. They were either they yeah, they, finished, were, they were undefeated. They finished undefeated. And we had just we had just lost a soul crushing game in the SEC championship game to Tim Tebow. And there was no way we were going to show up well for that. No team under those circumstances would have. And then in terms of Oklahoma, we had just lost a soul-crushing game in the Iron Bowl by the via the kick six, one of the most memorable plays in college football history. And so I, I'm not giving Nick Saban a pass, but I'm kind of like, hey, guys, I think and it's been enough time where there's nobody left from those teams on these teams. So quit trying to equate those two things. I think Nick Saban learned some stuff from those games too. So let's just put those things to pasture. Those, that's, that's a long time ago. Just like when people say, well, you know, even Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yes, he did. And it, you know what he turned it into? The longest winning streak against non-ranked opponents ever by a that's long right. stretch because he learns his lessons and he learned a lesson this time. So – that time, and, and he's going. I think he's going to learn another lesson or teach another lesson coming up tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I think we're going to show up and, and play well. I've seen reports that we're not this, we're not that. But you know, why is Michigan fired up to be here? I mean, if if we really yeah. want to go that route, I mean, exactly. if I'm Michigan, I'm like, hey, we weren't supposed to win to begin with, and they're bigger and stronger and faster than us. So That's yeah, right. I'm not really excited about being down here. And for all the talk we mailed in Utah, and I'm not saying we didn't. I'm not saying that was our best effort. I'm not saying that, was, but we, we we were one quarter away from playing for the national championship, which would have been our first one in 17 years. Our kids were crushed, and they showed up, and they outscored Utah. I'm looking at the box score to remind me. Uh, we outscored Utah 17-10 to 10 over the last three quarters of the game. Does that sound like we quit trying? We outscored them over the last three quarters. So we obviously put some effort into the game. We also turned over the ball three times. I don't care if you show up and play great. When you show up and play a good team, Utah was undefeated and ranked seventh in the country. People hear Utah and they're like, you know, what were they, some sort of group of five? They were undefeated and ranked seventh in the country. We turned over the ball three times. 
yeah, you're going to lose when that happens, or it's very possible you're going to lose. And again, we outscored them 17 to 10. We, we got off to a very rough start in the first quarter. And let's also remember that going into the game, the very best player on the whole team, Andre Smith, got suspended. And we didn't have the depth in 08 when the Nick Saban era was just beginning. We didn't have the depth to replace the best player on the team overnight. That, that, that was a big blow to the offensive line, losing Andre Smith. That would hurt us today. It was devastating in 08. So, no doubt that. about that. I forgot all about that. Um, yep. I forgot about his suspension. Gosh. Yep. I mean, it's amazing we we did as well as we did. I don't yeah, I know, and there's this this revision, not even a revision, right after the game was over Alabama. Oh, we didn't try. We didn't care. You know, is that the attitude you want the football team to have? Is that the attitude you want them to have, that they didn't care? I mean, these guys are competitors. We don't know as fans. We, we don't know what it's like to be a competitor like they are. But the competitors that I know, they don't show up to lose. They don't show up to mail up. Competitors want to win the game. They want to show up and win. And these guys are all playing for draft position, by the way. How is it going to help Jerry Judy to show up at this game, go through the motion, get no catches, and have a cornerback from Michigan who is going to get drafted beat his ass for 60 minutes? How is that going to help Jerry Judy in the draft? It won't. As a matter of fact, it will cost him money. So I'm just not a buyer into the idea that our team, or really any team, is just going to show up and mail it in. And if we lose – no excuses. If we lose, I'm going to say Michigan was a better football team than we are because the game is settled on the field, not by you just deciding as an Alabama fan that you're better than Michigan. For better, go beat them. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, well, Jimmy, so the next time we talk, we will have played said bowl game and hopefully we'll have thrashed thout Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> Thou shalt beat Michigan. <laughs> Dylan Moses has decreed it, so I don't that sounds more like something that you read when a king has some kind of proclamation. But whatever. Dylan Moses is a king to me. He's a king now. King Moses. He's a king now. Um, so anyway, where are you gonna watch the game tomorrow? My mommies. <laughs> what about you? There's got to be a more adult way to say that. Well, I'd uh, answer the question. I was thinking, what would be the best one? <laughs> I watch. Uh, it, it's superstition. Call it superstition or tradition or just the fact that it's my mom. But since, since I was literally in high school when Alabama has played on the road, uh, I've probably watched over 90% of Alabama games at my mom's. I guess it's superstition more than anything. But, uh, uh, yeah, and it's January 1st, so there'll be a big New Year's lunch thing. But, uh, yeah, mom's house. Yourself? Uh, you, I, you know kids? what? No, but I'm yeah, but I'm actually gonna be at my mommy's. So I don't know what the hell I'm making fun of you for. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, there you yeah, have. I mean, I'm that's that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm going down there with all my all my children as part of a Make a Wish Foundation for me. Just I want to. <laughs> I wish that somebody would take some of these kids. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're gonna go down there and watch it, and then uh, you know who knows? I got to drive them back to you know at least part of the way to Columbus, Ohio, coming up this weekend. So this is sort of the last hurrah, making the rounds or more time for everybody. So there's that. Excellent. Um, all right, buddy. Well, Happy New Year to you, and may your collards be collardy and your black-eyed peas be have plenty of pepper sauce. Excellent. 
I will put some on there even if there's not any. Hey, you're not gonna wish me anything, you jackass. Oh, uh, I hope you, I hope you do. Y'all put a dime. Do y'all put a dime in the uh, black eyed peas? And like whoever gets the dime, it promises a year of prosperity. Do, do, do y'all do this? No, because one of my several kids would choke on it. And I think you're thinking of using a coin to pass over the river Styx for the ferryman. I don't know. Your traditions are weird, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, I, what, what struck me is, you know, sometimes I'm like, doesn't everybody do this? And then I find out like no one in the world does this. But no, that, 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 that might be just our family thing. Uh, and, and it extended back from, from grandma, I guess. But yeah, you, you, you put a dime in the black eyed pea bowl. And, and when you're, you're getting your black eyed peas, whoever gets the dime on their table, you're, you're promised a year of prosperity. Though so I've got the dime like before the and I'm still broke. So I, I'm not, I don't think that, this works. That reminds me of the time my dad invented the tradition of, oh my goodness, Luke found the prostitute in the closet. He's going to have, uh, he's going to have good luck for three years. That prostitute is completely unrelated to anything else. <laughs> um, that's, no prostitute that's in the how closet. I got bear gonorrhea. <laughs> Um, All right. All right, everybody. Roll Tide and enjoy the Citrus Bowl. Roll Tide.